How do we build a healthy culture around the relationships? The dominant emotion is anger. What are some things that make Katie angry? So we had a plan and someone changes the plan. That did make me cry. And my kids were like, who's accidentally early? Oh, that's me. I've, I've definitely been accidentally early. This is where the anger can build. Understanding the Enneagram helped me be more aware of it. Hey, Alan, how are you? How's it going? Good. Excited for our beginning deep dive into the Enneagram today. Since we are talking about the Enneagram one tonight, that it's gonna be a good night. So as long as you don't, Put me in the hot seat again and make me answer all these questions about life as an Enneagram one. So I guess my trying to get you to cry is off the table. And I'll try to not point out all the imperfections. Okay. I'm also a very strong Enneagram nine, which I know we're also talking about. Alan, how about we set the stage a little bit? Can you just remind us? I know we talked about Enneagram last week, but coming into this episode, what specifically are you excited about? as we dig into more of the Enneagram? I think first it's, we're going to get really practical. And I think with any assessment, there is certainly value in the self-awareness. I learned something about myself and we're talking just snapshots, but it's the application. And we're talking about for healthcare professionals, personally and professionally, mm. the so now what? Why does this matter? Why would I even care to know? So we're going to get really practical tonight as we talk about the type eight, type nine, and type one. I love the idea of appreciating lenses that are not my own. And because as much as I joke about the Enneagram one being the best number out there, you know that is just a facade. And I think about the value that all these other <clears throat> numbers bring. And so I'm really excited to get to talk about them in these triads. So can you tell us a little bit about just a real quick flyby at 30,000 feet, what the triads are? So we're talking about the 891, which is known as the gut, the body triad. And we'll focus a little bit more on that later. Then next time, we're going to talk about the type two, three, four, which is the heart triad. And then the episode after that, the mm -hmm. five, six, seven, which is the head triad. Now, I should say up front, we are combinations of all nine types. So this isn't a case of, as we're talking tonight, it's only the gut. I don't have anything else. We will tend to have a preference, one of those things that's more natural. Think of your dominant hand. But we are also very strong in, in the other two. So tonight, we're going to focus on that gut triad, even making decisions based on that gut response versus purely the emotion around it or purely what's logical. That's really important to think about. When I started my Enneagram journey of really understanding what this is all about, I was really surprised to hear that my number, my dominant or primary number fell into the gut triad. I kind of thought I would be a little bit more in the heart triad because I'm a nurturer. Well, I wonder, Katie, if in that, as we go through seeing that maybe in certain situations, you may lean more into one than the other. We are talking about our predominant type, but for many of us when doing the IEQ-9, they may be very close. So you may have one in that heart triad that's very close. So you can go back and forth. And I think that's important tonight or on these subsequent podcasts. We're giving generalizations here. This is not 
okay, if you're a type nine, you do X, Y, Z. We're going to give you some general tendencies and also look for those tendencies of those that are different than your own. And how do we work together? So I think it's going to be interesting on our own journey in this as we dive deeper into the various types of things that we learn as well. The gut triad. What did these numbers? So eight, nine, and one are the gut are linked together in the gut triad. So what might that look like for someone from the gut triad who's working in healthcare? Yeah, I think it comes from the, those senses and it isn't just what my gut reaction would be, but it can be, this is what I rely on in that heat of the moment. You, you've heard people say, I just went with my gut instinct. Okay, this can be an indicator of this. Now, when we get into the deeper details of the IEQ-9, we recognize that we're also tapping into those other two triads. But I know for me, there can be many instances where I'm making a decision or I just have a sense, once again, tapping into the senses piece, that this decision is the right decision or something's not quite right here. When it's not apparent, it's not obvious. And so that is an important piece in that self-awareness of recognizing that. That you said senses, because that speaks to me a little bit more than the gut does. Maybe it's when I think of gut as a dietitian, I think of gut <laughs> microbiome. But thinking about sensing, I can see what you mean. So, for example, when I think about the Enneagram one, I think about the gut or the senses leading us to find imperfections to fix. So I was joking mm -hmm. about looking for those imperfections. But very often I think of, okay, I see an imperfection. I'm going to go with my gut or my sense if that's something that I should, should pursue or not. Absolutely. And with the type one, those imperfections seek us out. Yeah. Why is that? Because it can be that mm -hmm. gut of, I want to make things better. Certainly it can get into, I've got to make it perfect. And we'll talk about where that can be potentially challenging, but it is that desire to make things better, to reform, to improve. And it can often come from the gut. This doesn't seem right. What might be a solution? What might be a way to resolve or fix this issue? To your point, Katie, it can be from a gut response. About eights or nines, how, I know they're all in the same triad, but like, how might that look different? Do you think? So as a very strong type nine, that those senses can also come in from a relational aspect. And we talk about that the type nine has the greatest sense, intuition, gut of how the other eight types are feeling, of how they are they doing. Nines have that ability to really connect and to relate well with the other types. So you can see having that sense of someone's not quite they're the same today, what's going on, they have that ability to really connect. So it's mm -hmm. a super relational aspect and it can be driven by harmony. I want to make sure everyone in my workplace is getting along, is taken care of. And, and this can again be a sense that I get that person's not quite the same today or that person's not feeling well. So you can see from that gut, those senses the gift it is to, in this case, a team could be one's family as well of really being intentional as to 
the relational aspect and connection of that person or persons. Nines make great teammates because they are so others focused. And we talk about, I'm either for you, against you, or for myself. Again, a generalization. Nines tend to be for others because they're looking through the lens of how are other people doing? How can I come along and help and support them? And so, as you can imagine, in health professions, what a great gift and skill to be very sensitive to our patients and what they may need. Well, and what about the eight? You know, I have a couple of eights in my life. And I, when I think about eight, I, and I'm probably going to say this about every number, I want to have an eight on my team because I feel like the eight is the one who uses that gut or those sen that sense to look for a challenge, to not just say we can do something the way we've always been doing it because it works. But if there's that challenge or something needs to be changed, they're going to seek that out and not be afraid to be uncomfortable about it. At least that's my perception of working with AIDS in healthcare. Yeah, you're exactly right, Katie. There are various terms for the different numbers. Mm -hmm. One I like is the powerful challenger. And so they will bring an intensity of here's a wrong, let's make it right. Here's a way that we're faced with this difficult obstacle or challenge. Let's meet it head on. And so eights are getting things done. They also have an ability to communicate very much of how they actually feel. And you know where you stand with an eight because they're direct. Let's, you can be direct with me. Here's our challenge. What do we need to do to move forward? So you can imagine again with the challenges of healthcare, the problems that arise, the eight jumps right in and says, okay, what can we do to address this? Really, really being good advocates for patients, uh, for improving systems. And so to your point, that sense of, yeah, this isn't right. Let's go and work together in solving this. And as we were already describing these three types, you can see the benefit in having all three on your team. We're still in COVID, but post-COVID, and I'm thinking, gosh, you would really want an eight on your team when you are being faced with challenges, like if you are being shortages of supplies or shortage workforce shortage. You would want an eight on your team to really help you solve those challenges and those problems. But then you also want a nine to make sure that there's harmony. And you also want a one to make sure, let's be honest, make sure everything's perfect. No. It gets to something I think we've touched on in the past of, let's just take the workplace. It, it could be in our personal life as well. The need for the transactional and the relational. Again, it's the and here both needed. There will be different types that the dominant hand will be one of those two. Doesn't mean they don't do both. The nines really heavily on the relational side. How do we build a healthy culture around the relationships? How do we make sure that our team's not being sacrificed in the process of sacrificing, which is great, but we also need those individuals who are going to make those difficult mm -hmm. decisions to get things done. And eights are really good at, I'll have that tough conversation. I'll, I will talk to that supplier as to why we're not getting our medication that we need. I will have that difficult conversation with one of our team members who continually comes in late 
and is really holding the team back. They're getting things done, the transactional and the relational. And, and we'll see this, how important it is to have both. But here's the, the really important thing, I think, in our conversation tonight is not only recognizing what's my natural tendency, dominant mm -hmm. hand, but what can I lean into that may not be as natural? As I said in the beginning, we're combinations of all nine types. So we all have a type one, a type nine, a type eight. Some of that's more natural than others, but what do leaders do? They recognize I need to tap into this area right now. That makes so much sense because I think about the different numbers and eight really is my lowest number, but that doesn't mean that I can't tap into that. I have a choice to tap into that. And I want to tie this back to some of our previous episodes where when I am in a place of health, where I am prioritizing my own health and my own well-being, I'm in a little bit better place to make that choice of tapping into that eight when I need to, if that makes sense. It, it does. And we've talked often about first, how's our own health? Because I'm going to bring health or unhealth to my patients each and every day. We're not talking perfection here. We're not taking, talking, you should always be just this healthy person. But if I continue to neglect myself, what am I bringing to my patients I serve? What am I bringing to my family as well? And so to your point, Katie, that health has a lot of benefits in addition to being able to tap into some areas that might not be as natural. And it, it's important for us to keep in mind that we're not simply talking behaviors here. I know we're relaying a lot of those. This gets to what are the key motivators, as we talked about last time. And so eights, nines, and ones, though they're in the same triad, can have different motivators. We bring those to work. We bring those to our family. It's not a right or wrong, good or bad but they are different. And this gets into that appreciation of a lens different than my own because we're all motivated by different things, hopefully together though, for the common purpose of serving our patients. So Katie, you're a type one and you talk your type eight is not as strong. Have you seen any instances where you've maybe brought more than the type one in that triad to a situation, personal and or professional? I think if I had to pick between an eight, my eight or my nine, I would say that I probably lean a little bit more into my nine because that's that peacemaker. And I am also somewhat of a nurturer. I do want people to be happy. Now I recognize I can get things done and I can make dis hard decisions, but I think wanting to, at the end of the day, make sure that there's harmony and peace and having conversations with people, either whether that's individually or as a group, to make sure that I'm being transparent as a leader, to make sure that everyone really, truly understands what's being asked of them. I think that's probably my nine that I'm leaning into. What do you think? I, absolutely. I've seen that. And, and this is where we begin to have the synergy of being able to use more than one type at various times. Now, we're not talking here being weird, like one sentence, I'm going to articulate this way, then the next sentence, another. And we're also not saying become a chameleon 
where you really don't even know who you are. But to Katie's point, the recognition of in this moment as a leader, as a healthcare professional, how can I lean in to something to better serve those around me? And, and where does that start? It starts with the self-awareness. And this is why I believe this assessment is so powerful is that it gives us greater insight into all the nine types, but also what might look like type eight to me might look different than Katie, different motivators, but the ability to lean in, to make tough decisions, to get things done, to really articulating how I feel, even though it may be difficult, you see the benefit of that. So not to be negative, we've taken this most definitely from an appreciative inquiry standpoint, but I do kind of want to look at the other side mm -hmm. and say, what is something that, not necessarily when we're in unhealth, but what is something with each of these numbers that we might just want to be mindful of when interacting with them? Yeah. And there is another side to this. And it, it's important, again, for awareness. Okay, what might be some yeah, blind yeah. spots for me? All types have them. What's a way to, to bring a blind spot to light is to begin to identify it, to put language around it. It doesn't mean it goes away, but at least now I'm aware of, okay, this could be some broccoli in my teeth. This could get in my way. So we've touched a little bit on, on the type one, that perfectionism. And that perfectionism can radiate to those around me, meaning, why didn't you do that perfect? <laughs> Where I can see it more, why didn't you do it the way I did it? I'm feeling a little seen here. Yeah. I think it's almost like triggers. Like, what is it that, and when I think of the gut triad, I think of the fact that the dominant emotion is very often anger, which I'm not going to lie. When I heard that, I was like, oh, no, that's not true. I don't get angry. What are you talking about? I must not really be in the gut triad. But then when it was explained to me what that might actually look like. So, for example, as a one, I very often try to control and suppress my anger. And this could be on any given day, depending on how well rested I am and what else is going on. This could be just a little thing that frustrates me or could be a big thing. But my tendency is to really just suppress that. What happens? <laughs> Maybe, I mean, it's like that beach ball that you push under the water. It's gonna come up at some point, right? And so what often happens is as I try to control that frustration, then it comes out sideways and can look like being super critical of other people. Katie, you mentioned anger. We're going to unpack that a little bit more here in just a second. What are some things that make Katie angry? I'm going to speak in general terms. So this is not necessarily just me. These might be some things. You ready? Other people not following through on something that they said they would do. Okay. I'm and I'm watching you. I'm watching you to see how mm. you respond, how you're responding to these non-collaborative changes to a plan. So we had a plan, and someone changes the plan, but yet either not even necessarily that I didn't get input into the plan, but that like legit it's just okay. We're changing plans. Didn't even get time to process it, etc. And then also if other people are late, 
I can't remember who I was talking to. Oh, I was talking to my kids the other day. And someone said something about being accidentally early. And my kids were like, who's accidentally early? No one's ever accidentally early. They're accidentally late. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's me. I've, I've definitely been accidentally early just because I value time so much. And I think I'll stop there with my list. Did any of those resonate with you? They do. And it, and it comes from one of the terms, again, that, that type ones can be called. Once again, labels, I don't think are that helpful, but it can give us some insight. Mm. The strict perfectionist. And the strictness can get to what Katie's saying. Rules, plans, <laughs> deadlines, those kind of things. And, and ones get a lot of things done. And they do that because, okay, here's a deadline. Here's what I said I would do. They, they follow through. They like to make things better. Those are good things. But you can see as Katie's talking, if that plan changes, if I get delayed because someone else didn't do his or her part, now my ability to get things done and done well, close to perfectionism, that gets thrown all up in arms and that's where then that anger can come out because now oh goodness i know it's not going to be perfect it may not even be to the quality i like or you didn't do it as well as i did now i've got to come along and do it better which is going to take me more time and i hope that you're hearing in here the, the tension with that one of rigidity is this a case where I need to be rigid? And there are times, certainly, what I find in my own life is I tend to be too rigid. Did it need to be done exactly the way I did it? Probably not. And we talk about empowering others. How do we empower others? We give them the responsibility. We give them the authority, the ability to grow and to do things. And this is where, as a leader, I can struggle because I'll just do it myself. Then I get upset that others weren't contributing, but I didn't give others a chance to do it. And so this is that tension for that one. And to Katie's point, this is where the anger can build, but it's directed internally. I will share briefly, part of that for me is it was not okay for me to be angry when I was a kid. This goes back to our story and motivators, but we're all angry, but if I'm not allowed to be angry, where's that anger going to go? There's only one place internal. And to Katie's point, it's going to come out at some point. None of us are good enough to keep it all internal. And when it comes out, maybe sideways, maybe for me, my weapon's the Hulk to anyone and everyone in the vicinity, that anger will come out in unhealth. And so, as we've said, the first step, if you're in the 891 triad in particular, recognize, is there anger? What makes me angry? It's okay to be angry, but how it comes out. Just kind of come back in case anyone's afraid to work with us or a one because you're afraid that my I'm going to lose my mind if you change your appointment or if you're a minute late. That's the beauty of the Enneagram is that I have really grown in my journey to know myself and to lead myself so that I can lead other people in knowing that these are things that can potentially, like you said, make me a little angry. But then if I name it, I can even say, you know what? Yes, I'm angry about this, but I'm going to put it aside for this moment so that I can focus on 
what I have going on. When you've got patients that you're taking care of, you can't, you don't have time. It's not the place to be angry, but you can deal with it later. And so knowing that about myself because of the Enneagram has really helped me to grow. So I won't go Hulk on you if you're five minutes late, 10 minutes. I don't know. Let's talk. Well, because the last time that did make me cry. So I think we've learned from that. No, it's, this really ties into emotional intelligence as well. And if our listeners are familiar with that, this gets to how do I handle my emotions? What does it look like in my relationships with others? And we could go on and on. I won't go down that, that rabbit trail, but it is such a key component. If you think about how we serve our patients, am I serving them when I'm really angry? That, that message will come across different than if I'm coming from a place where there is more peace. And, and that can be definitely challenging for any of us. Can we do the same exercise with you and have you tap into your nine? Maybe take a deep breath first. Tap into your nine. Yeah, and this is very interesting. And, and this is something that I've also had to learn over the years. As I mentioned, it, it was not okay for me to be angry. And so I'm like, okay. And so one of the things that the nine struggles with is identifying his or her anger. The one knows mm -hmm. that there's anger. I just can't let that out. Nines, as I mentioned earlier, are so aware of the other eight types. Again, tremendous gift. They can struggle to identify if they are angry at all. And, and it, you might say, well, it's just denial. Yeah, maybe. But sometimes there's just an unawareness that the anger is there, yet we're all angry. And so for nines, it's that holding that mirror up that one, it's okay to be angry. And is there anger there? Keep in mind, nines want to bring harmony and peace to those around them. Again, a good thing. So there can even be a mindset that, yeah, it's not okay for me to be angry. And why should I tap into my anger? There's so many others who need me to help them, to bring harmony to them, to serve them. And mm -hmm. so the nine can have that real internal conflict. Is there anger there? I'm not sure that there is. I deny it if it is there. And that peacemaker can again convey a message that no, anger's not okay with me. And if I have, that's actually not a good thing. So for nines, like process, hold the mirror up, be honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. It is okay good. to be angry. Thanks for sharing that. I know neither one of us have eight super high up on our numbers, but I have worked with and I do have eights in my life. I can share a little bit about what I see and then I'd love to kind of compare that to your experience with eights or, or with your own eight. One of the things that I find with my eights is that they do not like it if I am not direct with them. Gotta be direct, shoot them straight. Another thing is not wanting to blindside them with information. They not feeling like they, this is just something that came out of the blue. So really being open and transparent and direct. Yeah, that's such a great insight, Katie, because eights are direct. And when it comes to the anger is directed outward. So we've talked about with the ones, the anger's kept internal. Nines can struggle. Do I have anger? I, I don't know that I do. I'm not aware of it. 
eights, anger is directed outward. I will tell you eights can get a bad rap here because they can be strong defenders of those they see taken advantage of, injustice, thinking healthcare, the quality of care, the systems, resources that are not being devoted to patient care. So eights as the advocates can voice their opinions and voice them very strongly out of that passion. Eights can get mislabeled as they just mean, they're just, they're gruff, they don't work well with others, they're harsh, whatever. That certainly can happen. But this is what's fascinating about the type eight. That exterior may look gruff and they will defend, absolutely, themselves and others. But beneath that tough exterior is a very tender, sensitive heart. That is sometimes difficult for others to see because eights want to appear strong. And if there's that lack of ability or desire to be vulnerable, others may not see it. But I will tell you, a healthy eight, that anger comes from a good place. Like they want to bring justice. They want to make sure people are taken care of and provided for. So you can see how each of these types brings some very unique things. The other thing is each of the eights have blind spots. It, it's one of the things that we've said before. It's why we need others to see our face. We do hold the mirror up, certainly, to see what does it look like to be on the other side of me. But we also need to lean into each other and what the other person can bring to the team. And we've said this before. I'm going to say it again. Everyone gets to play. As we go through the Enneagram, what we will not say is this is actually the preferred type for the best healthcare professionals. Nothing could be further from the truth. We need all these different um, types, aspects that they bring. And, and more so from that, this is not a, a time to really type different people, but to invite all of your listeners to begin to examine, if you've not done so, what are those things that motivate you? I mean, I grew up around a house where it was really important for me to maintain the peace of those around me at school, at work. And so my nine is very strong. I have this strong desire to perform, to achieve. You know, these are good things, but not all of us have those same motivators. And this is where in the workplace especially, we can have some real challenges. If I think that everyone on my team should be motivated the way I am, and you heard the word should, this is where we have some real challenging team dynamics. So one of the reasons we're bringing this up is to recognize, okay, how do I appreciate? You know, took it from the perspective of being a healthcare professional, but also of being a leader, because I think it's our responsibility as leaders. I mean, this is a tool and this, it's our responsibility to really look at our team and see who's on our team and how can we as the leader really bring to the light the skills that each of these numbers brings and then also be aware of these potential blind spots and, you know, harmonize and really help this team become a team because we have this like superpower of information. And, and that is the synergy that, that comes when these different types bring different things to the table. I will also say this, though, and this is where we also have to be careful with any of these assessments, is that I could say on my team, you know, I don't really worry about the relational harmony of my team. 
That's Katie's job. See, we don't get to play that card and it can be real easy for any of us to only lean into those things that are natural and then to assign, if we we're talking about at our, our work teams, that's your job. And we don't get to do that because the last thing we want to do with an assessment is use it to put people in a box, to pigeonhole and say, you deal with the tough conversations. I don't do that. No, doesn't work that way. It may not be as natural, certainly, but I don't get to abdicate and, and delegate to others. That's a great nod to our episode that we did on stereotyping. I know we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. You know, I agree, and I'm glad you mentioned that about not just trying to pigeonhole people and say, well, you do this or you do that. I do think, however, that what you can do, and I have done this, is if there's a strength that a different number possesses and you want, that's something that you want to work on and grow on and improve on, I have asked for mentoring from another number specifically for an area that I want to grow on that I know that individual is successful at because I can't get better at it on my own. And it, it does bring it a great point here. And, and I even think about those of us of practitioners who may be training students that are, you know, future practitioners, what, whatever profession that is. This is also a great teaching opportunity here, not only to help that student, that young practitioner identify here, his or her skills and strengths that they may not see, but also an opportunity to teach them, okay, I want you to go and have this difficult conversation. I know it's not easy. I'm here to help, but this is a skill set that can be helpful. Now, we're talking about core motivators here, not simply behaviors, but there are things that we can continue to learn that come from this. And it's it's example of knowing ourselves to lead others, as Katie has mentioned as well. So I want us to think about mm -hmm. how can we also educate those around us um, this is the conversations we've talked about multiple times. I will also say that this assessment, it's the IEQ-9, is a really good starting point. And, and I don't want to put so much weight on the assessment that then means what well, does everything and you just get labeled, but it can give powerful insight, an insight that I was not aware of myself, that, oh, really, I did not see that. This can be great for conversation common language for us to then begin recognizing what does that look like for us as a team, as a family. So Katie, we, we've talked about a lot of things and, and in my mind, I've presumed that we've given a lot of practical tips. That can be a danger for me sometimes at 30,000 feet. What are some practical things that maybe we've either touched on that you think, hey, let's bring that back to the surface or maybe something we haven't touched on because at the end of the day, we want to be able to provide all of us, yeah. ourselves included, a so now what? Okay, that's great. So now what is one of my favorite questions? Because like you said, I mean, this is really fun to talk about. But what is something that we can do in our everyday lives as we're either going to work or maybe you're listening to this as you're coming home from work? And I think, honestly, first step is to try to find out if you aren't familiar with what your Enneagram, your primary number is, to find that out. And then once you do that, to enter this space with a very open mind about who you are and a, 
about who you are in relationship to other people. I think you very eloquently said that when you were talking about not wanting to pigeonhole or stereotype people. But this has been so helpful to me to really get at those core motivators and to understand why I do what I kind of why I am the way I am. For example, why did I get so frustrated when someone was late? What does that look like? What are my options? How can I be motivated to respond differently? And while that might seem like something super simple, for me, it really was understanding the Enneagram that helped me to be more aware of it. I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. Definitely progress over perfection. So that's what comes to mind for me. What about you? Yeah, and it's a great example of of really holding that that mirror up. And I will say this, that the, the Enneagram for me, when it's done well, not used as a weapon, not used as a way to pigeonhole, can be extremely humbling. Identifying blind spots and realizing, oh, wow, yeah, I can be pretty rigid at times. I mean, that can be humbling, but we talk about those, those best leaders to me are hungry, humble, smart. What do I mean by that? Well, the hungry, I, it's, a, it's a hunger to grow. It's a desire not only to grow professionally, which all of us as healthcare professionals took an oath, you know, to continue to be lifelong learners, but it's also that desire for lifelong development. I have done a lot of assessments and development. I love that space. This one is, Enneagram was the most humbling for me. It exposed a lot of things, but I'm glad because those blind mm. spots aren't as blind now. Right. It doesn't mean they've gone away. So the hungry, the smart piece is certainly we are all very highly intelligent. We wouldn't be healthcare professionals if we weren't. But it's also that intelligence of the emotional kind, that emotional intelligence. What are those things that trigger me? What are those things that I notice about myself or others notice in me when I'm not at my best, when I may go into Hulk or when I become very rigid? And in the last piece, this ties into what Katie was saying, the humble. Am I willing to mm -hmm. recognize that there is broccoli in my teeth? Am I willing to recognize when my family, my friends, my colleagues say, hey, Alan, you know what? You really did overreact when Katie came in 30 seconds late. You can see this is really hard. And so am I willing to lean mm. into that space? Because it takes courage to do so. And here's the other piece of it. We're all very successful. I'm asking all of us, myself included, to be willing to lean in and to change. And you're already very successful. This is not easy to do. And when we're talking about things at core, I found it to be more difficult. But mm. the other side of it, it's more liberating because once you go to core, you begin to really identify why do I get upset when someone comes in 30 seconds late or why am I always jumping in and doing it my way versus allowing others to do it their way. We begin to get more and more to the core of this. When you do that, it's messy and it can be really hard. But I will tell you the freedom that comes from that, if we're willing to lean into it, um, is really beyond what one could imagine. If it's worth doing, it's going to be hard, right? And I think, you know, I think that's mm -hmm. a really important perspective.
Katie, a couple practical thoughts that came to my mind just as we were talking. And, and I want to take this in the context of, let's say that for our listeners, you are in a supervisory role, or maybe you're the owner of your own dental practice, meaning you have people working for you. One of the things that I would say is watching the culture of, of your workplace. And by that, I mean, is it a healthy culture in which everyone can thrive? High challenge, high support, both needed. But, but what would be some key things that could really help motivate each of the three types? Now, these are just a couple examples. It, it doesn't mean everything, but for that type one, you know, having some of that structure in place, you know, paying attention to the deadlines, a plan doesn't mean you're rigid in it, but you hold fast to much of that, or you give that type one opportunities to speak into modifying something. This is something we need to improve. Let's move forward. If that plan constantly changes, it's very unsettling. So having that commitment to that plan can be very helpful. For the type nine, what's the relational connectivity in your workplace? I've worked in many places that were really good and they got a lot of stuff done but the people really did not connect. Now, there's a tension, as I mentioned, transactional, relational. But for nines, the relational piece is really important. Also, is there lots of unresolved conflict in your team, your workplace? I don't mean absence of conflict. Please do not hear me say that. That can be some artificial harmony. That's not helpful. But do I, as a supervisor, allow things to happen that are not resolved from a conflict perspective. That'll be hard for that type nine, and they may spend most of their energy trying to smooth that and harmonize, keeping them from doing their job, potentially draining them. And then for the type eight, it is, am I empowering the eights on my team to really lean in and tackle tough challenges? Am I giving them an opportunity to really be able to build and grow and make things better and giving them the freedom? I don't mean they have just can do whatever he or she wants, but where they're empowered and they're really given the lead to solve problems and identify them with potential solutions. Or am I telling them this is the way it's always been done? No, I'm not interested in any of your ideas or solutions. We're just going to keep doing it the way we've always done it. Those are some oversimplifications, but do you see in those three different motivators, but all really important? And we're going to talk about this with the other types, and I don't want to cause our supervisors, our owners, our managers stress of, oh, I've got to figure this all out. No, but you can have conversations and, and you can identify, oh, well, you know, we don't really spend any time connecting as a team. Maybe we should have a, a once a month dinner after work. I mean. They can be these simple things. Well, I think my thought is these are very practical ideas and things that people can connect with. So, you know, you're not necessarily being prescriptive and saying you should, because, you know, we don't like to say that around here. You're not saying you should do this or that, but just give it a try and, and see how it goes with your team. And likely one of those things that you suggested is really going to be impactful. So thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is the anger triad. This does not mean that only these three types get angry. I mean, let's face it, you get cut off in traffic. Probably most of us are going to get angry. 
But it is important to really identify that not only for self, but as I'm working with my team to notice, okay, anger. And how do we handle that? I mean, anger is not necessarily a bad thing. If I see a patient treated poorly, there's going to be some anger. And so being able to recognize how can I be constructive in that versus destructive. But what we're not saying is there should be no anger, period. Please don't hear me say that. But we know that all of us can handle anger in some very unproductive and unhealthy ways. And so as we go through this in each of the triads, there's going to be some specific things that we're going to mention. And it's going to require all of us to hold the mirror up because guess what? I do some of those other things in the other triads too, but how do we make those healthier choices moving mm -hmm. forward? Katie, any final thoughts, anything swirling in your mind? We've talked about a lot of different things and, and this is only one third of the Enneagram. And so it, it was intentional that we didn't try to do all nine in one episode. I'm excited to look at these other numbers that we have coming up because I think, again, there's so much value in, in all of these numbers and just really diving in deep. So no, I'm excited about these next few episodes. I am as well. And I think especially Katie, cause we're going to lean into the other triads that aren't as natural for us. And one of the things I want to continue to convey to our listeners is we're going to lean into some of the other triads that aren't as natural for us. But here's the thing. They're all of equal worth and equal value. And the Enneagram is not meant to fix. It's not meant to put in a particular order. It is merely a tool to shed some light into, okay, what might be some of those things that motivate me? And what might be some areas that I can grow? And what are some of the wonderful things I bring to my family, to my team, to my profession, to my community? So we're going to continue on that journey next time with the heart triad, the type two, three, yep. and four. So same here. All right. Thanks, Alan.